Blog Talk Radio. This is Fanatic Radio, America's premier sports music program. Your host, Mike Gardner. And join with me this week is my good friend and host of MP Soccer Talk, the Nick Papadis, calling via South Carolina. Nick, welcome to the show. Thanks once again for taking the time to uh, help me out. It's good to be on, especially uh, kill a little bit of time as I head home from the D.C., from D.C. where I saw the Man United game past Tuesday. Exactly. I have a great show for you on hand. We'll talk some some NFL, including uh, several big names going into the Pro Football Hall of Fame this weekend, this Saturday, actually. And we'll give a shout-out to my boy Jeff Gordon winning his fifth Brickyard uh, 400, his fifth win at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Um, some funny, offbeat, oddity baseball news. But we'll begin with, uh, with Nick's Cup of Tea which is uh, soccer, as you were coming back from D.C. to see uh, a couple of uh, some big-name stars. You know, we, one thing about Fanatic Radio is even though the World Cup is over, soccer fever still picks up where it left off because now, as several big-name clubs were coming over to the States to play in some friendlies, because the EPL starts on the 16th. So, and just, and this is August 1st, 15 days away from kickoff of a new... Uh, English Premier League season, and so a better way to do that than go on an extended, all you know, paid inclusive holiday. We had the Guinness Cup, we had some MLS teams playing on it. But Nick, uh, anyway, we can talk about the games that you went to and your thoughts of seeing uh, some stars of the World Cup hit to the uh, hit the United States. Well, the on Tuesday, as I mentioned, I saw Man United play Inter up at FedEx Field, which was just an unbelievable experience to see Wayne Rooney to play live is absolutely unbelievable. He is every bit as good as everyone says he is. Uh, I actually ran into him walking around Georgetown as well, which was really cool. We got a picture. Um, And then I'm actually headed to see another game tomorrow up in Charlotte, North Carolina, between Liverpool and AC Milan. So I hope everyone's favorite controversial striker, Mario Botel, tomorrow. Uh, Hopefully we'll start him. It's funny you mention that. My brother saw the Man City AC Milan game, in which was Botelli's first game in America since uh, his trip down to Miami a couple of summers ago. But uh, Wayne Rooney has been playing exceptionally well. Had a, a goal within several minutes up in Denver against AS Roma. And one thing that a lot of pundits and people have been talking about is how just how fit the uh, English Premier League clubs are. And we've even seen it in some of the Guinness Cup matches as most of the Italian squads are just uh, enjoying their extended vacation. Meanwhile, the English clubs are uh, just a a class above everyone else. Did you see that watching that game at FedEx Field? 
It was very apparent, especially that game did come down to a penalty shootout. And even though you it did go the full 90 minutes and into a shootout, the fitness level was just a big golfing class. I mean, you saw Man United, who was fit the whole match. You had, I mean, they did make several subs. They essentially subbed out the whole lineup. But everyone on the pitch went the distance while... As you watched Inter, they just started to look tired after the first half, and the people that they did not sub off were especially looking tired. Uh, one of the most impressive players for me in that game was actually the one of Man United's new signings, Ander Herrera. Uh, he looked really impressive, and I was very impressed with his fitness after making the switch from La Liga to the Premier League. And, of course, I think Man United has yet to lose a game in this Guinness Cup. Uh, of course, all their whole USA Tour got started off on the right foot, smashing the uh, the LA Galaxy. And, you know, a team that has been considered one of the best in the MLS in the eyes of many Americans uh, ended up beating them 7-0. And we'll get to the MLS in a minute. But uh, Man United, it's, uh, it's interesting. I remember seeing them play, I think, in 06, back when... Berbatov was there, Park Song, Ryan Giggs, Paul Scholes were still playing there, and uh, Edwin Vandersar was the goalie. So that's a big throwback considering Giggs is now an assistant. But one thing, one thing that has, has surprised me more now is you sort of, I'm, an old, I'm older and have understood the, you know, the media side of everything, is just how big of a club teams like, like Manchester United, I think is is monetarily the most expensive club in the world better you know bigger than the Yankees bigger than the Dallas Cowboys America's team and yet here comes this soccer team that has all as players from all across the world and yet they are fine going to America but that what what I'm getting to on this point is um, uh, their new coach Lee Van Gaal who is head coach of Netherlands now is head coach of Man United Sort of frowned upon it. Now we t- I talked a little bit about it last week on FR, saying how he doesn't like he likes the U.S. tour, but he hates it because it's a risk of his players getting injured, and there's possible jet lag considering they're going from L.A. to Denver to D.C. and then Miami, and the fact that it's a it's a health concern, but yet. He has had this team so prime and ready. They have blasted every team they've played. They've been on an absolute tear. And then recent stories uh, is Man United uh, player Johnny Evans is saying Van Gaal is leaving, quote, no stone unturned because now uh, Van Gaal is just changing meal times, even go as far as changing the tables in the, cap- in the Man United cafeteria to circular tables to include more you know conversation and and camaraderie and encourages all his players to speak english is this you know in, in fact of putting cameras at their training facility papadis if you were head coach of man united was this the right way to approach it after the season they had last year i definitely think that this is a good switch because they went from a team that was very disjointed never seemed to find a rhythm to a team now that is in a constant, very good rhythm, and their communication is just so much better. Last year under Moyes, it looked, there was just never any continuity, especially with the fact that Moyes himself kept changing the lineup weekly. Um, you had a lot of big problems, and 
I think Van Hall is just looking at that and saying, that clearly didn't work. What can we do to change it? And he's taking the steps necessary. He's changed, I mean, the lineup he's completely changed up. He switches up from running three at the back to running four, then five. He's, he's constantly changing his formation. He's just keeping everything very interesting, and I think it's keeping the players engaged and they're basically enjoying their new leadership. Yeah, because one of the big things, especially in the football world, is, is constant change because you have players coming in and out, players from the youth system. Uh, a new, a rejuvenated Man United team basically playing one of their worst seasons in recent memory under a first-year head coach who was quickly sacked and then replaced with a World Cup caliber coach, a third-place World Cup coach. And then you got Wayne Rooney, at, you know, possibly at the top of his game you know, for the first time since when he burst onto the scene back in the Euros Law, you know, many, many years ago. But uh, switching over to another EPL squad, uh, your Liverpool, Nick Papadis, and they had, they've had they had a pretty decent um, USA tour, considering that uh, Rodgers is, con- is trying to change the club offensively after uh, your boy Luis Suarez went to Barcelona. But... Um, so good things on the horizon for Liverpool. You know, Steven Gerrard announced his retirement for international soccer, so he's fully committed to uh, to the uh, red and white. Well, I think that overall it's going to be a good season. Possibly, definitely as good as last season. Maybe even a little bit better. While you do lose a huge presence in Suarez, the money that Son Suarez is allowed for spending has been fantastic. I mean, a big weakness for Liverpool last season was the midfield, and the defenders especially. And that £75 million has allowed several new players to be brought in. Lovren from Southampton, or half of the Southampton team, in all honesty. seems like there's no one left from Southampton's starting lineup last year. Liverpool's already taken three of them, with several others going to other clubs. But um, overall, I think while that is a huge void to fill, you will see Rogers make Rogers make tactical changes to adjust for that. And then you also have big players stepping up big so far in the U.S. tour. Sterling has stepped up huge two times with two goals, two very important goals in their two uh, second two matches of the U.S. tour. Their first match against Roma at Fenway was a little bit disappointing, but you can't really do too much about a 90th minute basically own goal, even though it was not credited as an own goal. Um, so it's very interesting to see what he's going to do to replace Suarez. And he has come out and publicly said that he would be willing to wait until the January transfer window to sign the striker because he wants to sign the right striker to replace it. Well, he has a lot of good talent on his hand. Sterling, Daniel Sturridge... Uh, all stepped up and played very well. Uh, what's your thoughts on this whole USA Tour before we get to the MLS and, and the fact that these international clubs are are training not not on, on European but coming over stateside? Is it uh, is it good from a European football manager standpoint? Is it a good thing? I think from a manager standpoint, it's kind of back and forth. I know for Liverpool, with there being U.S. ownership, there's a big push them to come over because the U.S. ownership wants them to build more of a presence in the U.S. 
But at the same time, I do understand Van Hall's point that it can be very strenuous to fly from L.A. to D.C., or to Denver, then to D.C., then back to Michigan before probably heading to Miami should they win their group. But I think overall, for the club as a whole, it's a better thing because it builds their presence and builds their popularity in the United States. I mean, the Man City versus Liverpool game, which was played at Yankee Stadium uh, two nights ago, actually had more had a higher attendance than the highest-attended Yankees home game this season. So that just tells you how much soccer has grown in popularity in the U.S., and it builds who are constantly trying to spread out across the world and get their name out there more. All right, um, so they have been running uh, ragged across the country, many, many games. We've seen teams like Man City, the defending champs of, of England. We've seen Liverpool. We've seen Man United. We've seen Mario Botelli. We've seen Italian fans run onto the field, take selfies with them. We've seen pitch invasions all across the country. Uh, then we have the, uh, the United States, a team that made the round of 16, came back to uh, a hopefully ambitious spark to support your, uh, your team, your players stateside, including big signings of Graham Zuzzi and Matt Beasler signing uh, designated player contracts for Sporting Kansas City. Sparking rage by a particular radio host, but that's another story. And we've seen everything. We've seen brawls with Donovan, DeAndre Yedlin, and Clint Dempsey within the league. But then when they play these European teams, they have been uh, humiliated with the only three positive results being two ties from the Sounders against Tottenham, uh, Columbus Crew, I believe, against Crystal Palace, and the only win to this day from this whole summer series was Terry Henry defeating his former club, Arsenal, in a very packed house. Nick, is this bad for U.S. soccer, knowing that we're trying to grow the game, Clemson's trying to do his best to you know, sell us what, it does, what the team does on the national team side, playing these great friendlies, getting to the World Cup, getting all this World Cup euphoria, and yet we can't even get it done when... European teams are on their va- basically vacation? Well, I think it is a little bit of a problem, but it's not a huge problem because while the U.S. is building its its uh, stock in soccer, it's just not at the same level as these European clubs. And so I think it's, while it's a good benchmark, it's not necessarily the fairest test for these U.S. clubs to see over the years an improvement in results like this. But right now, I'm not disappointed because the level of players that are coming with these European teams is just a cut above. I mean, most of these guys, you've got the Bayern Munich team, who I know we'll talk about playing the MLS All-Stars in just a few minutes. Uh, Bayern Munich's got half the German national team who just won the World Cup. So... You've got teams like that coming over and playing. I mean, you've got teams like Arsenal who are near the top, and you do have some teams such as the Red Bulls getting a positive result against teams that are near the top of their league. So it's definitely a little bit of a concern because we should be giving them a better run for their money, but it's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, the Chicago Fire Tottenham game was 
actually a very good game. It was only one goal, one goal difference, but it very easily could have been another 7-0 win for Tottenham, just like Man United beat the Galaxy. So it's one of those things, while the results say one thing, the managers of these MLS clubs need to look at their style of play against these European teams and take it into consideration. Because, honestly, the, my biggest problem with the MLS is and that they're just not willing to go out on enough of a limb. I mean, you see in the Premier League, a manager loses four or five games in a row and their job's in danger. In, in the MLS, you can have three losing seasons in a row and you're still pretty much safe until you start losing a little bit more. So I think they just need to adjust a little bit, possibly take that into consideration. And of course, the MLS All-Stars will take on FC Bayern Munich Wednesday, August 6th, 9.30 Eastern, 8.30 Central Time. And of course, if you are actually there, it'll be 6.30 p.m. Pacific Time. A a pretty much uh, MLS national team heavy roster with the exceptions of uh, Terry, I think Terry Henry and Ophelia's Martins, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, who uh, for many of those fans that do not know used to play at Inter Milan and was uh, made famous by his uh, many backflips he'd do when he'd score goals. I don't know if he does that now. I don't know if Father Time has caught up with him. But as Nick pointed out, Bayern Munich will be playing. They defeated Chivas, Guadalajara Chivas last night in Red Bull Arena, basically with their second string. And now there's rumor that nine of the team, nine of the members of that German World Cup team who play with Bayern Munich will be playing the All-Stars. Will it be a humbling experience for the MLS, or can a team, an All-Star team that has a lot of these guys that played with each other because they just came from the World Cup, do the MLS All-Stars stand a chance? I honestly don't think they do, and they were talking about this on ESPN last night during the halftime of that Bayern Munich game. The MLS All-Stars, while a lot of them have played together with the national team, I don't think it's going to be quite the same effect because they haven't had any training together, including those players from outside of the MLS, from outside the United States. And you can't go in on, on two days training and play one of the best club teams in the world, especially when they are going to start a lot of their starters from Germany and other other countries. I know, I'm sure Lewandowski from Poland will start. Being said, I think Pep Guardiola, because this is a preseason match for him and his Bayern side, I think he's going to decide to pull out a lot of his starters at halftime and in the 50th, 60th minute around that area and so we'll get to see some younger players, some of his academy players, uh, such as Julian Green, who he said may get 10 or 15 minutes, depending on fitness. And I think if we see some younger players come in, we might see a 3-1 or 4-1 in favor of Bayern versus like a 5-0 range. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping for a 3-1. That's, that's my prediction. But I do think Bayern's going to pretty much hold hold the game. Nick, you're being generous with a three-one. I think we'll lose five-one because I think we'll get smoked in the first half. Even because even with our all-stars, 
The MLS guys, they've been in, in season, and many of them are playing because they don't want to get hurt, but then at the same time, they want to win. So, But yeah, we're probably going to get killed. If Galaxy lost to a Man United, who's, play, who's playing their first game of of like the new calendar year in from European soccer standards, if they lost 7-0, what is a team of World Cup champions going to do to us? So once again, that game is on ESPN2. Or uh, or Unimos, I think. Yes, which is the channel I'll be watching. Wednesday, August 6th, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. The MLS All-Stars taking on Bayern Munich. Will it be a bloodbath? Because I think it will be because I think Jurgen Klinsmann will be in the house and the Germans will want to defeat Klinsmann's t- uh, players knowing that he used to coach Bayern Munich. Uh, a couple quick notes for the, uh, the U.S. men's national team. Some uh, interesting friendlies. On the horizon, they will be playing the Czech Republic September 3rd. Rumors are they will be facing Colombia September 9th in the Alamo Dome. And then in November, they'll be traveling over to Ireland to face the Republic of Ireland in Dublin. So that's it for our soccer conversation. Uh, Some quick shout-outs before we go to the break. Some baseball news. I don't know how much you've been following this, Nick, but yesterday a big blockbuster uh, trade sending Cy Young winner David Price to the Detroit Tigers, thus giving the Tigers Justin Verlander, Max Scherzer, and Price, a team of three Cy Young Award winners. And of course, in baseball terms, it's always good pitching wins games. Now that Price has left a a woeful Tampa team and franchise. Uh, does this make the Tigers an immediate yes for winning the pennant? I wouldn't say that it's an immediate yes for the pennant because while there's still around 80 games left since we're just past the All-Star break, and with there being so many games, anything can happen. But I think that they are a strong candidate just for the fact that if you have a pitching staff like that, you really are almost unstoppable because you've got to three-day rotation that no one can hit almost. It's going to be very difficult to hit, and it's pretty hard to score any runs if you don't have any hitting against all-star pitchers. Who's your favorite baseball team? We need to establish that immediately. I'm actually a Cubs fan, as sad as it is to say. Are you really? What, What connection do you have for the Cubs? My dad was always a big Cubs fan because when he was a kid, he's uh, one of the only cable stations he got. One up was WGN. When he would come home, Cubs game would always be on because it was before Wrigley had lights. So had a bunch of afternoon games. He always watched Cubs. So growing up, I always watched Cubs a good bit. It's always painful to be a Cubs fan, but it's it, it's one of those things that's fun, but it's it's a hard life. Do you have a secondary team, just in case the Cubs, like this year, have another pretty bad losing season? Well, I'd have to probably say, in in the American League, I'm a Red Sox fan. But my second favorite team overall would have to be the Braves. Just local team for me, closest team. About three hours away from me at home. Go see a lot of of Braves games. So so I'm, I'm guessing you're a Chipper Jones fan. Growing up in that, that 90s, early 2000s of Atlanta Braves. 
you have to be a Chipper Jones fan. It's impossible not to be if you're if you like the Braves at all. I mean, he's probably one of the best players the Braves have ever had, if not the best. I always all thing I also loved. I loved the Braves pitching back in the day with John Smoltz and Greg Maddox. So that it's one of those things I've always liked the Braves, but the Cubs hold a special place in my heart, even though they're constantly miserably bad. Well, of course, uh, I want to give a shout-out to Greg Maddox and former uh, Atlanta Braves manager Bobby Cox for going into the Baseball Hall of Fame. I also want to give a shout-out to Frank Thomas, uh, commonly known as the Big Hurt, who had 500-plus home runs. I think that was the very first person I saw hit a home run in my very early baseball games when I was little, watching the Texas Rangers, because the White Sox are in the uh, American League. And I remember there's three there's three guys that I saw hit home runs against the Rangers, and that was Frank Thomas, who's now in the Hall of Fame, Ironically, Barry Bonds, when he was with the uh, early stages, when he was with the Giants, either that or he was with Oakland back when before he even got traded to San Francisco, and then uh, Rafael Palmeiro, who uh, hit his 500th home run in uh, now Globe Globe Life Park in Arlington, which uh, means nothing now considering he is one of the many guys that was charged with steroids. But there you go. There's no Nick Pappas take on baseball. A Braves fan, a Red Sox fan, I'm assuming just because they're owned by the same guys that own Liverpool, and a diehard Cubs fan, even though they're 45 and 62. Not as bad as my Texas Rangers, who I think still have the worst record in baseball at 43 and 65, meaning that Ron Washington will be fired in just a matter of moments. Quickly before we go to break, though, my take on the David Price thing. I love how baseball, is, it's, it's like that. And you see that in soccer as well where teams can just load up on big players no matter the situation. I always love the other ends of the deal because here are the Detroit Tigers who have won the pennant uh, you know, two times in the last three, four seasons. They just came off a World Series a few years ago. Yeah, they're sitting pretty. They're 58-47. There are a couple of games over 500. They're leading their division by four games. And now you get David Price, who I think was one is one of the, you know, one of the prime pitchers in baseball, considering his stature, his ability to throw the fastball, the way he's just dragged Tampa through the mud just to make the playoffs, in which they've done several times behind him, thus earning a Cy Young award. So I love how Detroit loads up on pitchers. And the only things they give away is Austin Jackson to the Mariners, who was a pretty decent outfielder. And then the Rays, they just get scrubs and minor league players. So I love just how unfair certain baseball deals are. In terms of Detroit, I think it's a definite yes. Because Oakland, the Oakland Athletics, though, have just as good pitching because they have youthful pitching. But when it gets to the playoffs, that is where it could, they could be in deep trouble. Because the only other team that could go probably toe-to-toe with Tampa Bay, or not with uh, Detroit, is the Yankees. Of course, uh, Mastro Takanai is still on the DL, so who knows how healthy he will be in times because the Yankees are five games behind Baltimore. Shout-out to the the Beltway, by the way, Washington Nationals and the Baltimore Orioles still atop their uh, respected divisions. So, yeah, that is my Gardner and Nick Pappas' take on baseball, a sport we which we know nothing about, which will send us perfectly to the commercial break. When we come back, we will break down the NFL. I'll give a quick NASCAR shout-out and more hijinks and shenanigans. Once again, you're listening to Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. 
Fanatic Radio. And whoever made the decision to give you this big fancy studio is an idiot. The reason you wake up on game day and put on your team's colors. Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio.
Fanatic Radio on Blog Talk Radio. Like those two weeks you spent narrating your own life? I walked into the kitchen and sat down at the table. I looked with a grimace at the questionable meal Lois had placed in front of me. Of course, I'd never tell her how disgusted I was with her cooking, but somehow I think she knew. Lois had always been full of energy and life, but lately I had begun to grow more aware of her aging. The bright, exuberant eyes that I had fallen in love with were now beginning to grow dull and listless with the long fatigue of a weary life. I awoke several hours later in a daze. Soul Kitchen by the Doors, Fanatic Radio, blogtalkradio.com, America's premier sports music program, Mike Gardner, Nick Papadis, back here to talk some NFL. Uh, one, the reason for that last uh, sound clip, uh, interesting news coming out of San Diego Comic-Con. Nick, are you following this in any way? Uh, apparently, September 28th, there is going to be a, not a mashup episode, but the, uh, the Family Guy family, the Griffins, will go to Springfield with a crossover episode of Family Guy and the Simpsons for all you TV fans out there. So how about that? That being said, um, we'll roll straight into it. In light of the whole Ray Rice uh, situation, he has indeed uh, apologized for all the, uh, the events that have surrounded uh, especially uh, last Monday, someone else uh, apologized on live TV. I made what can only amount to the most egregious error of my career. While elaborating on thoughts concerning the NFL's ruling versus Ray Rice, following a domestic dispute with his then-fiancé, I ventured beyond the scope of our discussion by alluding to a woman's role in such heinous matters, going so far as to use the word provoke in my diatribe. My words came across that it is somehow a woman's fault This was not my intent. It is not what I was trying to say. Yet the failure to clearly articulate something different lies squarely on my shoulders. Nick Pavitis, Stephen A. Smith was suspended by ESPN, but not fired. And this is also not the first time he has made outlandish off-the-wall comments that has set the media and public domain in flames. What are your thoughts on this whole Ray Rice scenario? Well, I... I think it's kind of ridiculous that the NFL only handed him a two-game suspension, especially seeing as similar events have caused for much longer suspensions. And I just, I just don't know about the length of his suspension. Because when you think about Stephen A. Smith's suspension from ESPN is half the time of Ray Rice's suspension from the NFL. And while Stephen A. Smith did open up a big mouth like he usually does, I'm not the hugest Stephen A. Smith fan in the world. Uh, while he did open up a little bit of a big mouth, I don't think it compares to Ray Rice hitting his wife. I don't think it's even close to a decent comparison. I think that uh, Ray Rice should have been suspended much longer. Yeah, it's interesting because Alden Smith, uh, defensive end for the San Francisco 49ers, is going to meet with uh, Commissioner Goodell next week to talk about his suspension in which he was charged with uh, with gun possession and a DUI. And an interesting infographic in this week's Sports Illustrated, which I want to applaud them on, fantastic cover featuring the Kansas City Chiefs' Jamal Charles. Glad to see he uh, did not decide to hold out and signed a two-year extension with Kansas City, hopefully to make them a playoff hopeful team. But a great infographic, page 14 in the scorecard, 
in which they give sort of this little spider web of all the different suspensions. I'm just going to read off a few of them, and just, just to show, this is going to sort of double table off Ben and I's discussion last week of how inconsistent the NFL is with these suspensions. But some of the notable suspensions for one game include the helmet to helmet or DUI and other incidents. Then when you get to four-game suspension, that is where you get bullying, first violation of substance abuse, and a sexual assault. Then when you get to eight games, you get four arrests in 14 months, possession of six unregistered firearms, and lastly, a full-season suspension goes to DUI manslaughter, third violation of substance abuse, and involvement in a shooting at a strip club that left one man paralyzed. So needless to say, because of this infograph, the NFL is all over the place with this. Ray Rice has apologized for his actions. I just hope the Ravens have a losing season and never get out of this for the rest of the season. But interesting enough, and of course ESPN, that's another can of worms. I cannot understand how they let this man... First of all, he's just Stephen Smith. He's no, no Stephen A. Smith. I don't understand what the A is for. I mean, I'm pretty sure millions of, of, of women out there can put the A as a different word, but it's not the first time he's been in trouble. And how many slap on the wrists is this guy going to have before justice is served? It's every time they keep this guy on board, it just makes ESPN look less and less credible. Much like pairing John Champion with Lexi Lawless for their soccer coverage, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. That being said, more on the NFL. Training camp is alive and well, and there have been some interesting stories uh, surfacing for training camp. One being Marshawn Lynch, my least favorite player in the NFL, decided to hold out to get a contract and finally comes out of, you know, hiding or the darkness because he's now wanting to play more years because they want more money. Now, one, I don't understand the whole egotistical plight of NFL running backs. You never see quarterbacks hold out. You see Michael Vick go on the record this past week saying he was going to play till he's 40 regardless if he's a starter or not. You see wide receivers have issues, but nothing is more makes my skin crawl more than running backs. And Marshawn Lynch is one. You know, Beeflo and I have, have argued till we are both hoarse about him. And he is a good player, but he's not a good player anymore. He's got his Super Bowl. He could care less. Because one thing I don't understand about the running backs is their average lifespan in the NFL is two to three years. Now, both of us, Nick, will go to college, will, go, will, will start and graduate college in a longer time than the average NFL running back. But those running backs that have managed to stay afloat and, and relevant, are so cocky and just such assholes to the public and the media, it is sick. And I'm going to play you a 30-second clip, 30-second of a 97-second clip of Houston Texans running back Arian Foster, who basically, as Keith Oberman would say, see if you can spot a theme in his press conference. How did it feel? Were you 100% out there today? Yeah, I'm just out here trying to be the best teammate I can be, and you know, I'm going to work hard at doing that. So physically, you're good to go? Yeah, man, I'm just trying to be the best teammate I can be, man. Eric, can you tell us exactly what kept you off? What's going on? Yeah, man, you know, I'm just trying to be the best teammate I can be, you know, uh, work hard at doing that. So what was physically wrong? Yeah, I'm just out here, man. Just, you know, working hard every single day, trying to be the best team I can be. 
Now, I don't understand, and I don't know if you haven't heard that. This is the first time you've heard that, Nick. But basically, he goes on to answer every single question saying, I'm going to be the best teammate I can be. Now, I know the Texans are one of the worst teams in football, but it just it has to make you upset, doesn't it? He's completely stiff-arming the media aside for his own personal gain. Yeah, I mean, I come from, I'm come. i a loyal Panthers fan, as you may know, and so I go to training camp every year, and you see this, like, at Panthers training camp almost every day, some players come over and they'll talk to the fans, sign autographs, and you get to meet a lot of them, and you see this time and time again. You see the big-name running backs uh, just running straight to the locker room, like D'Angelo Williams, I've, I've gone to Panthers training camp every year, for probably the past 10 years now. And as long as they've had D'Angelo Williams, I've gotten his signature, one, his autograph, one time. He's only signed autographs one time when I've been there in all the years that he's been in Carolina. But you've got the guys like Cam Newton, who comes over almost every day after practice signing autographs. And it's just what you're saying about the running backs just being stuck up prima donnas is absolutely true. The one time I have met uh, Daniel Williams, he was a really, really nice guy, but it was one of those, it's one of the situations they just almost can't be frustrating. We got Arian Foster in that interview who, I mean, he might be the nicest guy in the world. I've never met him, but he just doesn't want to give an answer and just keeps talking in circles, for, like you said, for his own game. Well, I just don't understand it. You know, at least make up an answer. Don't repeat. Yeah, one thing that's interesting with with running backs and, and and big and big name players is it's it's two it's two spectrums. You know, you see you see quarterbacks and and other and other positions. So Jimmy Graham, he signed I don't know what the number was, but it's the biggest contract ever for a tight end. He's a very good tight end, one of the best in the league right now, if not if not the best. Now that Tony Gonzalez is retired. And uh, Antonio Gates is, is is just a few days away from a really bad injury and probably ending his career. So Jimmy Graham is probably the number one tight end. And I don't, I've heard him say anything about, you know, his contract and how he's the best. Um, you just see that. The NFL is, is so – I mean, I love, like, I love the NFL and I hate the NFL. I like it less and less. I worked, I worked at, you know, an intern of the summer at the Pro Football Hall of Fame at some fantastic people. It was just engulfed in NFL 24-7. And you just learn to just hate the league. I don't know why. I don't know because it's obviously the biggest money-making machine America has to offer next to the government because it brings in billions of dollars and it has some of the biggest stars on the planet. But yet you see the Ray Rice issue. You see this Arian Foster issue. You see Marshawn Lynch refusing to go to the White House. Then you see Tom Brady, and and then certain players with all their chari- charity work. It makes no sense. It's so... And then you see guys like Johnny Football going to Vegas and hanging out with Floyd Mayweather and the Beebs. It's so all over the place. I don't understand it. Nick, maybe you can explain a little more about what makes the NFL the way it is. I think, honestly, it's when the biggest problem is is that they give these really young guys, some of them your age and my age, really young guys, millions and millions of dollars. And when you hand over that much money to such a young person, well, the thing is, the thing is, 
They, the, it, it is a, unlike any other league, a, there is a set contract of guaranteed four years for rookie signing bonus. Yeah, and I think it's just out of hand to hand over a really high amount of money. I mean, if somebody were to give me even a half a million dollars, I wouldn't know what to do with it. You give these guys millions upon millions of dollars, and they just get, they're like a deer stuck in headlights, and they, one of two things happen. They either get really full of themselves, and they get, just go do stupid stuff, and go act ridiculous in Vegas, and act ridiculous, and get caught, committing all kinds of crimes, or you've got the guys like Brady, and like some of these other guys who just put their money in the right place, and either save it or put it towards charity or and do a lot of work with communities. So you got I'm not a big Tom Brady fan, let that be known. Being a Panthers fan, I kinda of despise the Patriots from the Super Bowl back in the day. But you can't you can't disrespect guys like Brady who do good with their money. But just a lot a lot of it surrounds is, is about money and it just makes no sense. Um you know, going to Brown's training camp uh, Johnny Manziel is, I guess, sl- slowly coming to grips of being a second string. And, you know, the question is, does he is he going to be satisfied with that? Who knows? And then from around the league, you have you, know, you got Johnny Manziel that he talk about, the 49ers making some big-name signs. Uh, then you got guys like, like especially for you, Nick, uh, Steven Smith, uh, Steve Smith, who I think is now at the Jets. He is actually with the Ravens. With the Baltimore Ravens, and he said the first time they played Carolina, this was months ago, he said, quote, there will be blood. So you got guys with vendettas on their old team just because Carolina wouldn't re-sign him. You have LaShawn McCoy, to, uh, the, the, uh, the leading rusher last year, fantastic running back. He said, uh, quote, I own Dallas, whatever that means. I don't think he physically owns Dallas. I don't think he has enough money to buy my city. But that being said, all NFL aside, this weekend does hold uh, true to one of the biggest events in, in sports, like it or not. The Pro Football Hall of Fame Enshrinement Class of 2014, they will be inducted into Canton, Ohio, tomorrow night, featuring some names such as Derek Brooks, who won a Super Bowl with Warren Sapp, linebacker for the Tampa Bay Bucks, Andre Reid, wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills, uh, during the Jim Kelly years, during the uh, the initial West Coast offense, run-and-gun years of Marv Levy. And then you have Claude Humphrey, my boy Ray Guy, who becomes the first punter, solely special teams punter into the NFL. And then, of course, probably the biggest biggest name, especially in the public domain, Michael Strahan. Nick Pavitis, any fond memories of any of these Hall of Famers going into Canton? Well... Not so much any particular fun memories. Uh, you got to love Strahan's uh, career after the NFL and all his announcing and broadcasting. And now I believe he has a morning show. But uh, I, you always love to see Hall of Famers, and I'm really looking forward to, as I do get a little bit older, seeing some of these guys that I remember playing when I was young going into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's especially what, what we're entering this time. Last year, when I was interning there, was sort of my first experience of guys of our generation. Uh, notables that went in was Larry Allen, Warren Sapp, Jonathan Ogden, all guys that played in the 2000s. 
uh, late night, because then back you had Jerry Rice and Deion Sanders. Guys, now we're starting to see the guys from the late 90s and 2000s, back when we were growing up in the days of NFL Blitz and the early games of Madden. Uh, also, another Hall of Famer I forgot to mention was um, Walter Jones. So this is an interesting Hall of Fame class because it was um, last year it was one or the other if Strahan or Sapp would go in. It also shows how much of an influence uh, big-name buzz takes to the Hall of Fame voting. Because what it is is basically several men, new, uh, reporters from representing all 32 cities of the NFL, or all 31, I guess, because New York has two teams, the cities of the NFL, and then several other writers you know, from USA Today, from Sirius XM, they all vote on the Hall of Famers, but then they also vote on the legends. So last year it was uh, Dave Robinson of the Bart Star Vince Lombardi Packers and Curly Culp of the Hank Stram Chiefs. Now this time around, it is Claude Humphrey, a longtime defensive end for the Atlanta Falcons, and then you have Ray Guy, who is a punter, won three Super Bowls on the John Madden Raiders, and who would actually be presented by John Madden, so it's good that he's doing that. But it's interesting that they finally have allowed, because before uh, Jan, um, Jan Stenerim was the only special teams player, because you know Lou Groza played quarterback, George Blanda also played quarterback. So you now have a solo punter. It takes the 2014 for a punter to actually go into the Hall of Fame. So you know, they want a big buzz because they want it to be a first time ever. And then for Michael Strahan, I remember him, one for the fantastic gap between his teeth, which he has yet to get fixed, and I hope he never gets fixed, because he is always the king of the lift, much like Mike Tyson, and much like anyone else who has a gap between their teeth. We love that. But also, ever since he retired, and he retired out the right way, playing with a very good big blue wrecking crew, back when Osiyama Nura and Justin Tuck were young players on the New York Giants defense that defeated the undefeated Patriots, which I hate, because they ruined history for the rest of my life. But that being said, Michael Strahan had the single-season sack record. He was a menace to Brett Favre, guys like Favre, Kurt Warner, Dan Marino. And now, so, that, so he touches us, us youth and millennials. But for the older generation especially the, uh, the women demographic, female demographic. He's appeared on the, you know, he, ha- he now has Michael and Kelly who replaced Regis. And then he also does Good Morning America because he replaced Josh Elliott in that regard. So you got Strahan doing Michael and Kelly, Good Morning America, Fox NFL. The fact that he's had to go from New York to L.A. constantly. Not only is he just a football player, but now he's like this prominent, laughable, funny guy in television. And that really has to help you now that he's a Hall of Famer. It's like, okay, this guy's got you know a thousand times more clout than we expected before. But from that regard, I think that makes him even more of a figure because he's been on TV so many times. Yeah, I definitely agree that it is. It does not only bring out his prominence, but it's going to bring out the prominence of the NFL, and it might pave the way for more former NFL players to go hit the same route and go into a career after the NFL, which they can sustain for years after. I mean, most of these guys are retiring in their mid-30s or at the very latest in their early 40s. 
I mean, what position they play. It just shows that you can have a career after football. That doesn't have to be the last thing to do. Yeah, exactly. Some some big notables on the horizon. I believe in 2016, if all else goes well, if he doesn't return, that is when the uh, when the hallowed halls of Canton could be calling Kurt Warner and Brett Favre. So those are some big names on the horizon. Some notables that still haven't gotten in. Terrell Davis of the Denver Broncos, uh, running back, the two-time Super Bowl champ, Denver Broncos. And then eventually down the road, that's where you'll get uh, the some of the some of the offensive linemen that played and went to Super Bowls. Surprising thing about Strahan, he only played in seven Pro Bowls. So one thing, the Golden what, last year was their the Hall of Fame's 50th anniversary, and one of the key tickers that a lot of the NFL guys wanted to know was what is sort of the, the secret elixir getting you into the Hall of Fame. And from my time there, one thing it definitely is apparent is you have to have won a Super Bowl, been on a Super Bowl team. So you have to play, you've had to play with a great team, um, and then whatever position you were. You have to be super special with that. For your offensive lineman, were you blocking for a thousand, two thousand yard, a thousand yard rusher, a two thousand yard rusher, what have you? Uh, if you're a quarterback, if you throw him for so many thousands passing yards, you've broken records. So guys like Tom Brady, Drew Brees, uh, Brett Favre, you know those guys are in the hall. Will be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Wide receivers, how many hundred yard receptions have you had? How many thousand yard seasons have you had? defensively, how many sacks, and then it gets to how many Pro Bowls and how many All-Pros. And usually that number's double digits. you got guys like Jonathan Ogden, Warren Sapp, who've had double-digit Pro Bowls. Bruce Matthews, I think, has the all-time record of 13, who was an offensive lineman for... Or he's a D, yeah, he was a guy who played the Titans, or the Houston Oilers back in the day. So you have all these guys make double-digit Pro Bowls. Strayon only made seven, which is interesting. I don't think his career was that long. Played in the 90s and then retired in like 2006. So very interesting how, how sort of television politics work for Strayon. But glad, glad he's going in. Glad, you know, hopefully it would be great to see the sort of animosity between him and Warren Sapp. Because Sapp originally went on the record uh, when back in February and immediately said, yeah, you know, Strayon doesn't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame yet. Which just sparked crazy media frenzy. But that's our NFL talk. Training camp's still going on, so the season hasn't, doesn't start till September, which is when I will finally get fired up for football. Speaking of what else starts in September, is college football. We love college football. We don't have it at American University, but so be it. The, uh, the Amway USA Today coaches poll officially came out. Florida State, the reigning national champions, are number one behind Phenom, Jameis Winston, and a coach named Jimbo Fisher. And then you have Alabama number two, which is very interesting considering how Alabama got drummed against Oklahoma in the Sugar Bowl, yet Alabama is higher than Bob Stoops Sooners, who come in at number three. And then notables, number four is the Oregon Ducks, with Marcus uh, Mariota, who returns, who decided not to declare for the draft. And then Auburn, I don't know why, basically got off the coattails of their remarkable, insane season last year. They lose Trey Mason, their Heisman hopeful running back, yet they're still fifth in the country. And then rounding out the top ten, Ohio State, UCLA, Michigan State, the defending Big Ten winners, and Rose Bowl champions, Carolina, and surprisingly, Baylor. Nick Papadis, are you fired up for college football as of now, or does it usually take you a while to sort of understand why these rankings are the way they are? Well, there's really never a time I'm not ready for some college football. Honestly, I prefer college football to the NFL. It's just 
it's just like I prefer college basketball to the NBA. It's just a completely different game. Um, the poll definitely has gotten me a little bit interested because I am looking forward to seeing some game cost football. Uh, seeing as we don't have a team at American University, I still have to pull for a uh, team from back home. So th- I'm happy to see them ranked well. But I'm not really too surprised with the rankings. Uh, you were talking a little bit about the two and three rankings. But it comes with a lot of I think it does come down to recruiting class. And Alabama always does recruit very well. And I'm just looking to see – I'm looking forward to seeing what big names pop up and how teams finish out because, you know, and as everyone knows, these preseason rankings are always nice. They never mean all that much in the long run. Yeah, it's true, especially Clemson was preseason number three last year and then got waxed against Florida State because most people didn't really predict Florida State to win the national championship. Jameis Winston returns. Is he primed to have another Heisman hopeful season or do you think Florida State has a lot of flaws that could easily be exposed this year? Well, I think it comes down to it's going to come down to Winston and whether he has a season. It it depends on whether he shows up. If he has trouble like he did last season with getting in trouble and just doing stupid stuff and being a little bit too boisterous, then it could be an issue for Florida State. But if he keeps if he turns it around from last season, he's very by the books, doesn't get in any trouble, stays out of the, stays only in the sports section, and does not make the front page. Then I think they'll have another fantastic season. See, that'd be interesting because you know he did have that uh, sexual assault case, which was dropped, and ultimately he was, he was innocent because you know something. Who's to say something like that doesn't happen during the regular season? I mean, I'm not from Florida. I don't know what goes down there, but he also has. A lot of pressure as a, a new wave of wide receivers comes in. A lot of his big targets graduated or required for the draft. So that will be interesting. Uh, interesting to see if Oklahoma can run the table, being that they're sort of the only big team in the NFL. Who knows? I'm surprised that Baylor is 10. And I'm not having to go at Baylor, but they are not a good team. You know, they sort of were in the right place at the right time because Texas was so bad. And in and, uh, and Kansas State, upset every you know, Big 12 is always a conference that teams upset other teams Oklahoma State lost to Oklahoma thus sending Oklahoma to the Sugar Bowl but I'm just surprised that a team like Baylor is highly ranked in Stanford or Georgia uh, and scro- scrolling down I can't wait to see what USC does because they were a disaster last year you know, and now Lane Kiffin is completely uh, gone out of USC's mind you know, who knows what this sort of new renaissance of L.A. football is going to be because now you got UCLA up in the top ten. Jim Moore Jr. has done a fantastic job there. There's a fantastic Sports Illustrated article about quarterback Brett Hudley. Sorry to bring that old-school UCLA football back. Who knows how USC and UCLA are going to do. And then you always have your hopefuls, your Notre Dames, you know, your, your Johnny football-less Texas A&M, how they go forward. So... No other big surprises. I am surprised, though, what Charlie Strong is going to do with Texas because being from Texas, it is basically do or die when you are are coaching the the state's largest school in a team that relies so much on history. So college football starts in September. 
and FNAC Radio will be with you every step of the way, holding your hand as we try to predict the Heisman winners. But that's uh, another story for college football. Any other uh, shout-outs or uh, stories you want to talk about, Nick? Um, not in particular. I would like to give a shout-out to American University for hosting Man U to train on their campus and train on Reeves Field, which is quite surprising given the condition that Reeves is usually in. It's amazing because I think us and Maryland are the only two schools in the you know the DMV area with a substantial grass field because Georgetown plays on turf, GW plays on turf. Uh, George Mason could be another field, but it's all the way out in Virginia, and FedEx Field is in Maryland. So, luckily, American University has the uh, the wondrous honor of hosting teams in the past, like the U.S. national team, the Brazilian national team, Manchester United this year, and it's only just a matter of time. Have you seen the uh, the AU schedule, men's soccer schedule? It was released last week, Nick Pabditz, and we feature wonderful teams such as George Mason and the and the, uh, the Kike and Strong D.C. College Cup, which will be at American. Mason is a defending Atlantic 10 winner. And then the very next game, they get to play UCLA, who has my boy Larry Enjock, who transferred from Loyola, Maryland, is now repping the, uh, the blue and gold for UCLA. Uh, ho- hopefuls for Todd West squad to return back to Patriot League glory. I think this year is going to be a big year for AU soccer. I mean, we brought in so many freshmen after losing so many big seniors, as well as losing some quality freshmen. So I think Pappet is very hopeful on... The American University men's soccer team. We apologize for the drop call. Uh, quickly running through uh, some list of headlines. Memo Choa going to the La Liga is he's going to be in for a uh, a wild awakening because he'll be facing off against Suarez, Neymar, Messi, Cristiano Ronaldo. He's going to get lit up like a Christmas tree. So good luck to him. Uh, Luis Suarez is going to appeal the FIFA ban August 8th, so we'll keep you posted with that. Robert Griffin says he wants to pick Tom Brady's brain, wants to become more of a passing quarterback, which is just about time. It only took three years for you to finally realize that. But nevertheless, it's good that Robert Griffin is willing to adjust for the good sake of the skins. Also, the Knicks and the Wizards to play on Christmas Day in Washington. Hopefully, a can save my money, and our lovely fans at D.C. can uh, house Mike Gardner so I get a chance to see that. With uh, Wizards, uh, big, big in the news, John Wall is at the USA training camp. They're doing a fantastic job in Vegas. I want to give a shout-out to Coach K. Also, Kevin Durant, is uh, Doodle Jump is there and says he would not mind uh, possibly going back home. His home is D.C., you know, Prince George's County, growing up as a Bullets fan. So, fingers crossed for Wizards fans. But for all of us, Nick Papadis, I'm Mike Gardner. FNAC Radio returns next Friday, 4 to 5, Eastern on Block Talk Radio. But until then, check out the podcast on iTunes. So long, everyone. <laughs>